You're listening to the N2K Space Network. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live-fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. In yesterday's show, we raised the flag of, dare I say it, cautious optimism when talking about the health of the space economy. The operative buzzword being bandied about was, pop quiz, stability. If you can believe it, we're continuing that trend today with more positive news from the space economy. Could it be? Are the clouds parting? Cautious optimism indeed. T-minus. Today is July 19th, 2023. I'm Maria Varmazes, and this is T-Minus. Lockheed Martin bumps up their 2023 outlook. China has reusable rocketry in its sights. Venezuela signs on with the ILRS. NASA earns an A grade. It's a scramble for water at the lunar South Pole. And our guest today is Justice Parmar, founder of Fortuna Investments on supporting new space startups. Don't miss it. Now let's take a look at today's Intel briefing, shall we? And it's always worth reporting signs of positive growth. And today we're hearing from Lockheed Martin that they posted $3.2 billion in sales in Q2 this year. And that's up $341 million, or 12%, compared to Q2 last year. In an earnings call, Lockheed Chairman, President, and CEO James Takelet says this stronger-than-expected sales performance is due to a number of space programs that they're part of ramping up more quickly than forecast. And that includes the SDA's transport layer tranche one and commercial civil space programs, aka NASA programs, including the Orion capsule. And that in turn is causing Lockheed to revise their 2023 sales and earnings outlook upward. Now there's a phrase I haven't said much this year. Lockheed bumped their outlook up by a little over $1 billion. And now they have an expected range of sales between 66.25 and $66.75 billion for the year. And another company jumping in on the rebound trend is Rocket Lab. CNBC is reporting that the company's stock has doubled this year, following many successful launches in both the United States and New Zealand. 
Rocket Labs stocks are up 11.7% to trade at a 52-week high of $7.70. And Deutsche Bank reportedly sees it climbing even higher. Are we finally seeing the tides changing in fortune for the space economy? Maybe, 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 fingers crossed. Time will tell. And now taking a look at China and China's deputy chief engineer and designer of the country's manned space program has told state media that the country will launch its first reusable rocket in 2027. Yang Liwei told Guangzhou Daily that the new spacecraft will have the capacity for seven astronauts. Yang says the rocket will, quote, also play a critical role in the future construction of China's space station and moon landing mission. A prototype of the vehicle successfully completed a 67-hour test in 2020. Staying in China, and the director of the Institute of High Energy Physics at the Chinese Academy of Sciences, told the China Media Group that the country's new generation space satellite is progressing steadily. The Enhanced X-ray Timing and Polarimetry Mission, or EXTP, project is the successor of China's first space telescope, and that was the Hard X-ray Modulation Telescope, HXMT, named Huiyan, with the new telescope's detection capability expected to be 100 times greater than its predecessor. China has formally signed a new partner on its International Lunar Research Station project. Venezuela is now the fifth country to join this initiative and has signed a Memorandum of Cooperation between the China National Space Administration and the Bolivarian Space Agency of Venezuela on the International Lunar Research Station. The two countries plan to demonstrate engineering implementation, operation and application of the ILRS, including a joint demonstration of scientific goals, joint design, and more, according to the memorandum. Now, this isn't a new partnership between the two countries, as they have previously established space cooperation, including the 2008 launch of the Venisat-1 communications satellite. And while Venezuela looks to the east for space progress, NASA Administrator Bill Nelson is heading to other Latin American countries to rally support for the Artemis Accords. Nelson is heading to Brazil, Argentina, and Colombia to discuss the U.S. Space Cooperation Initiative. Nelson told NatSec Daily, All of these countries have had entreaties from the Chinese government, and with Argentina in particular, he aims to, quote, keep the ties, the information flowing between our two countries. We will be bringing you our conversation with Robert Ayon tomorrow on Ecuador's recent signing of the Artemis Accords, so be sure to tune in for that chat. And staying with the U.S. Space Agency, the Small Business Administration announced that NASA earned the top grade, an A, for the sixth consecutive year for its work with small businesses, exceeding its goals by 18%. NASA says it has directly invested 3.6 billion U.S. dollars in over 1,700 small businesses across the U.S., creating good-paying jobs and opportunities for Americans in all 50 states. And staying with NASA, NASA's Psyche spacecraft is due to launch on October 5th, and with less than 100 days to go— wait, what? 100 days until October? Where has this year gone? The space agency has provided an update on their progress— the team recently completed a test campaign of the flight software and installed it on the spacecraft, clearing the hurdle that kept Psyche from making its original launch date that was penned for last year. Engineers and technicians have been working tirelessly to ensure that the orbiter is ready to complete its journey, some 2.5 billion miles, to a metal-rich asteroid that may tell us more 
about planetary cores and how planets form. Except I'm still stuck on that 100-day countdown. But anyways, moving on. Above Space Development Corporation has announced that it has signed a five-year Umbrella Space Act agreement with NASA. Above says that this agreement provides them with access to facilities and support for systems testing, technology, and tools, and includes collaboration on multiple technologies that Above is testing for commercial, civil, and government customers. And now let's shift our focus to the moon. In the battle for the moon, so to speak, there is one location that everyone's scrambling to reach first, the coveted South Pole. Russia is next in line to send a vehicle to the apparently water-rich region of our neighboring satellite, with its Luna 25 vehicle now in place at its launch site. Yes, really. The spacecraft is due to take off next month from the Vostochny Cosmodrome and plans to be the country's first soft landing on the moon's South Pole. And we do love a story about how space-based technology can enhance our lives here on Earth, and it doesn't get more wholesome than when we can help the agriculture community. Aspia Space has said that they have developed a new tool that harnesses AI and satellite data to enable grassland farmers to remotely measure the height of their grass from space. The company plans to launch the service with farmers in Ireland later this summer. The Hyperspace Challenge, in partnership with the U.S. Space Force's Space Rapid Capabilities Office, known as Space RCO, has released the 2023 Challenge Problem Statement. Hyperspace is inviting researchers and companies with mature technologies to explore innovative ways to enhance the resilience of space assets, including satellites against threats. Companies from the traditional space and aerospace-slash-defense industries, as well as those from non-traditional sectors like automotive, manufacturing, and cybersecurity, are all encouraged to participate. Companies have to submit an initial interest form by August 15th, and we will be speaking to Kelly Stafford from Hyperspace Challenge and Matthew Fetro from Space RCO in the coming weeks, so stay tuned for that. And as always, we have a number of great reads in our selected reading section in our show notes for you. There's a great piece in there today from the Center for Growth and Opportunity at Utah State University that gives a succinct overview of the regulatory landscape in the United States for the space domain. And that regulatory landscape, it's disjointed to say the least, and there are numerous challenges ahead for Congress as they try to navigate these regulatory waters. It's a frequent topic of discussion with our guests on this show, And the article also does a really nice job of kind of laying it all out for you. So definitely give it a read. We've linked it for you over at space.n2k.com. And that wraps it up for our Intel briefing for today. Hey, T-minus crew, if you find this podcast useful, and we really hope you do, please do us a favor and share a five-star rating and a short review in your favorite podcast app. It'll help other space professionals just like you to find the show and join the T-Minus crew. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. The IT world used to be simpler, You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. 
Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Our guest today is Justice Parmar, founder of Fortuna Investments. Fortuna recently entered the space economy, and we started our conversation by asking, what's been the draw for Fortuna to invest in space? We're early stage investors and long-term partners to a number and variety of companies. We've developed a tremendous track record for success in other emerging areas and industries. Quite famously, uh, we really made a name for ourselves back in 2016. And that's when uh, Tesla was actually really just beginning to take off. And and in those days, Elon was only selling maybe 60,000 cars a year. You know, he's selling upwards of 2 million now, just to give you a little bit of perspective. And so we, we, you know, understood this electrification of of the world and we really started to dig deep. and, and, And what we realized was it's these lithium ion batteries that were powering this whole revolution. So we stepped up, we founded, we co-founded several different you know, early stage companies in that arena, several of which actually went on to be over billion dollar companies, unicorns. We like to think of ourselves as futurists in a certain way. And so come to space, all these things beautifully aligned and we love the prospect of this brand new space economy that's starting to emerge. Yeah. And it's, it's right now is a very interesting time for the space economy. We had sort of the feeding frenzy in 2021, and now people are saying it's a correction or however you want to interpret that, although I'm, I'm very interested to hear your interpretation of what's going on. So now is it tricky time, or maybe it's a great opportunity. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why right now, as opposed to maybe a few years ago. For us, I, I think we, we, we avoided maybe some of the pitfalls over the last couple of years. We, we were monitoring the industry. It, it was a little bit kind of buoyant or, or overly buoyant in, in, in a certain way. So we're, we're doing our homework, we're monitoring the industry. And then, and then two things happened. One, we witnessed the worst overall stock market crash since 2008. So that's the worst crash in the last 15 years, uh, more than 15 years in, in, in the overall markets. Within the space industry, by nature, a lot of the companies are, are you know, earlier by nature, they're not fully developed. And so when you have a market crash and then you, you compound that with, with growth and most, most stock inv- or say space investments are in the growth industry, you've kind of got a double whammy or, or a compounding effect to the downside. And so I and we at Fortuna, we think this is absolutely the perfect setup to go shopping. Everything's on sale. Everything's 80, 90% off. So it's almost like a kid in a candy store in a certain way that, you know, we're, we're kind of coming off the bottom. We at Fortuna predict the, the, the market, the stock market, overall, overall stock market to be performing tremendously well into next year. Reason being U.S. presidential year, trillions of dollars of capital sitting on the sidelines, record low unemployment. It looks like we've seen peak rates. You know, we might raise it one or two more times. You add all these things up. It's going to be a bounce back year. I mean, we're already starting to see that bounce in a lot of the equities that were really hurt. And so it's the perfect setup. It's a once in a lifetime opportunity or, or setup to, to really start to look and, and fund and back and build some of these, you know, world class, you know, once in a generational type of opportunities. And we've, I'll end by saying we just actually made our first significant investment into a company called Starfighters Aerospace. Yeah. Tell me more about that. I was just going to ask what interests you? What are you looking at? 
you know, our team gets pitched three, four, five different times every day from various different space opportunities now. I think the launch obviously gets a lot of the sizzle. It's sexy. Aesthetically, it looks good. You know, Elon's, you know, in, in the game. Jeff Bezos is in the game. So, you, you know, but, but overall, it's only composing about 12% of the entire marketplace, right? And, and obviously, satellites are 70 and then miscellaneous things. And so, you know, we at Fortuna, we've made our first significant investment. Our strong preference is, is the, the company's out of, you know, into commercialization. So, so it's not just two guys with a backwards hats and like a PowerPoint. It's, it's, it's a little more developed. <laughs> you, you, you laugh, but I've, you and no a disrespect great to, I know, no, no, I get, <laughs> <laughs> I get, I totally get. <laughs> listen, I live near MIT. I completely understand what you're the picture you're painting. Yeah. <laughs> yes, please go. <laughs> and no disrespect to backwards hats. I, I sometimes throw backwards hats. But my, totally my point it. is it, that, that it's a little bit too much on the risk curve for us per se. So what we, you know, our holy grail is, you know, we're not looking for a SpaceX or, you know, something that's got 100, 200, you know, uh, a Terra X orbital, you know, something that's got hundreds of millions of revenue. We're just looking for something that's like, you know, that, that's got a semblance of a formed company. They've got a product. They've got into commercialization. You know, they're doing some, you know, maybe a couple million dollars of revenue or, or, or something that they've, they've, they believe they've proven. And then we love to be that growth capital that comes in there for 10, 20, 30, up to $50 million to, to really help to accentuate that, that company's growth profile. Yeah. I'm so curious. I don't know if there's a right answer to this question, but I'm curious about your take. Is it more important that this company has the tech nailed or the business model? The, the one thing that I, I guess I've noticed is there, there's, and, and again, I say this, I've come from other industries, you know, clean energy, battery technologies, life sciences, you know, amazing people in every industry. But in this particular industry, it, it's really, I've noticed academia forward. And so you've got some brilliant, brilliant academic minds and maybe sometimes they're just, they're missing that kind of component of that business side of things, right? And so if you, you know, if you look at, call it the best of the best, look at the Elon Musk of the world in the space industry. Yeah, he's an engineer, but also he, he's done economics in university and he's built companies, right? So it's not just the technical side. He understands how to market. He's a, the best promoter in the world. And so it, it, it's marrying those two collectively is, is obviously the holy grail. That said, us at Fortuna, you know, I think we're, we're, we're quite good at business. We don't mind actually carrying a chunk of that business load just because we're so good at it. And so for some of the entrepreneurs, I think it makes it easier in a certain way if, if they realize they've got a good partner who can, you know, not do everything, but really, you know, help where need be on strategic vice or growth or allocation of money and, and, and things of that nature. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. I, um, it's, it's a question I like to ask because there is in the space world, as a person coming in from the outside, I've noticed a lot of emphasis on the tech and the business model seems to sometimes, I'm not an expert, but it seems to me sometimes it's more of an afterthought and I wonder if that can be a... Well, that, and, and that's just it. And, and I think that's why some of the, you know, I know some of the VCs kind of stay away from this whole industry because it's a, there's not necessarily that pathway to profitability, right? So it's like, okay, cool ideas, but how do we make money in this endeavor? And, and so I, I implore the entrepreneurs who are listening at home and, and, and the folks that have a chance to listen to this, just... I can't emphasize it enough. Don't disregard the business and how am I going to make money on this? It matters. If we're talking about commercial space, it's literally the game. Yeah, that's, it matters a lot. And now I'm going, to, I'm going to ask the inverse question. What kind of tech are you interested in? Because this is the nerdy side of me that's like, okay, there is a lot of cool stuff happening. I mean, I like to kind of think of it in the way that, 
you know, back, maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but like, you know, back in 2000, when, when, when dial-up internet and modems were really starting to take off and, and they, they had the clunky Motorola phones and who would have known, what, like, if, if you were to ask myself 20 years ago, would you think that this smartphone was going to control every single aspect of humanity? Probably not, right? And, and I think we're, we're starting to operate on that trajectory. Obviously, we're not there yet, but we could be on the precipice of something so outstanding such as that, because we're already, I mean, if you, if you look at it, Maria, in a certain way, we're already touching outer space on almost everything. Whether the, It's already a $200 billion a year U.S. business. It's going to a trillion think that the shortcoming is, is people just can't see or visualize it. And, and again, and that's also one of the reasons that really attracts us to this industry, because we, we kind of want to be there before the whole crowd is there, because then everything gets really messy, really crowded, valuations go ballistic. And so what, what we at Fortuna, we're really trying to lay some of this infrastructure and groundwork so, so we can have a dozen significant investments over the next three years. Yeah. Anything particularly of interest that uh, you're like, yeah, that's going to be cool? Absolutely. Yeah. So, 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 I mean, a, a couple areas, right? So we're already in the launch game. We're, we're on the small side of the SAP market or our company, Starfighters, is, is going to be operating on the small side of the market there. You know, we realize technology is getting smaller and smaller with the CubeSats and NanoSats. It's, it's a little bit underserviced in a certain way. The things that quite intrigue me are, are, are the, the possibilities of solar in, in outer space. And I just say that because, you know, we've got a background in clean energy, renewable energy. You know, we've got solar investments here in the U.S., um, battery investments. And so just to, like, conceptualize the fact that, you know, when, when, when the, 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 the sun's rays are actually beamed down through the atmosphere, it's extremely diluted product that we get at the end of the day. And to actually have a cluster or have solar satellites in outer space they're literally going to be a thousand or ten thousand times more powerful, and so from from an energy source, it's just that that screams that it's it's going to be feasible. Obviously, the million or, or billion dollar question is going to be how quick can that be flushed out and when that will be operational. But I think things like that seem to make sense. You know, we're we're actually looking at a, a one particular refueling company at the at the moment. Why not be able to refuel in outer space to, to carry on missions, to go to Mars, to do things of that nature? So for me, it's just, it's a conceivable next step. I mean, we're not even there with the first step, but it's just a natural progression in a certain way. Almost like how uh, electric cars are, are now becoming prevalent, but we still have a charging shortfall on, 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 on Earth. As an EV driver, I feel that acutely. <laughs> so I do. Yeah, it, we are on that really interesting cusp of really cool stuff is, is about to happen. And, you know, in space, ISAM, I always mess up what the acronym means, but, you know, in space servicing, assembly, manufacturing, right, ISAM, right? So much good stuff that's uh, sort of on the cusp of happening there. I, I, I'm just so looking forward to that, like, exploding and it's starting to boil over. It's going to be really cool. I, I know we're coming up on time, and I know your time is precious, so I want to give you the floor. If there's anything we haven't touched on that you wanted to, I want to make sure I give you that opportunity. I appreciate that. Thank you, Maria. I've, I've had a great time. And maybe the one point I, I would love to touch on, just given that I, I believe the, the, the segment is, is investing in space, so I think that there's, there's several or many folks at home that are trying to figure out, you know, how should I play this? Should I play this? Is this too risky? You know, questions of that nature. And, and, and what I'll say is, you know, people often tell me it's it's really risky to be investing in outer space. And, and, and I agree with that, a certain aspect of that, but I would actually give you the alternative view, which is it's, it's actually riskier not to be investing in outer space at this current moment. And so there's, there's different ways to maybe dabble and, and kind of look at the industry instead of, and again, you don't have to bet the farm, but, you know, a little bit of exposure maybe. 
um, just so you can hopefully capitalize on the upside as, as this industry really starts to mature. We'll be right back. And now a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. And welcome back. And so many phrases in the space domain honestly sound perfect for screen and stage, don't they? Take, for example, the overview effect, which you might be familiar with from my interview with author Frank White just a few weeks ago. He coined this phrase, the overview effect, to describe the cognitive shift seen in astronauts after they view the Earth from space. And now that phrase is also getting the dramatic treatment in a new stage play called The Overview Effect by playwright Lynn Rosen. And that play is making its world premiere right now at the Contemporary American Theater Festival at Shepard University. Here's the play's synopsis. A showdown between competing space companies, each on a quest for Mars, ends in disaster with the explosion of Red Sky's unmanned rocket. As air disaster expert Dylan Marks searches for signs of sabotage, her investigation becomes deeply personal and ultimately life-changing. This epic tale explores the costs of risk-taking, scientific, emotional, and spiritual, and asks, do we know all the ways there are to be alive? And as that synopsis hints, the play draws some inspiration from the competing billionaire enterprises in new space, and it also draws inspiration from Cassini, the spacecraft that studied Saturn for over a decade, and it's also a central figure in this play. But really, as the title suggests, it's about the perspective shift experienced by the characters and getting comfortable with not having all the answers. Or as the main character Dylan says at one point in the play, sometimes we get Earth and the Milky Way and Saturn's rings, roses, elephants, oceans, children who love us. And sometimes it's a disaster and we don't know why. The play, The Overview Effect by Lynn Rosen, is currently running through the end of July at the Contemporary American Theater Festival at Shepherd University in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, which is about an hour and a half drive for any of our listeners who are in the D.C. or Baltimore areas. If you get a chance to go, please drop us a line about how it is. I'd love to hear more about it. And I'll read your review and we'll share it on the show. That's it for T-Minus for July 19th, 2023. For additional resources from today's report, check out our show notes at space.n2k.com. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at space at n2k.com or submit the survey in our show notes. 
Your feedback ensures that we deliver the information that keeps you a step ahead in the rapidly changing space industry. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. This episode was produced by Alice Carruth. Mixing by Elliot Peltzman and Trey Hester with original music and sound design by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producer is Brandon Karp. Our chief intelligence officer is Eric Tillman. And I'm Maria Varmazes. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.